Welcome to episode 53 of season 2 of the Search with Canada podcast. I am your host for this week, Jack Chambers-Ward, and I am joined by the Digital Marketing Director at Argos Multilingual, Sarah Presh. Sarah and I are going to be talking about culture and how important that is to SEO, both international and domestic, and it's a very, very interesting conversation. I think you'll really, really enjoy this one. But before I get to my conversation with Sarah, of course, I love to give a little shout out to the fantastic sponsor of this show, that is Systrix. Systrix, of course, you probably know already, is the SEO's toolbox, and you can go to systrix.com SWC if you want to check out some of their fantastic free tools, such as their SERP snippet generator, href lang validator, the all-important Google update radar, and if you want to check your site's visibility index as well. And we actually have an update from Systrix about the Index Watch 2022, and this is for UK visibility winners on Google. And... It is written by former guest of the show and fantastic data journalist and SEO in her own right, Luce Rawlings. And Luce has done a fantastic write-up of the visibility winners. So sites that have seen significant growth throughout 2022. There is a complete list. So the top 25 and then expands into the full top 100 if you go onto the site here. Of course, links for this will be in the show notes at search.withcanada.co.uk or you can go to systrix.com slash blog and find all the content that Systrix is creating there as well. So let's dive into some index watch, shall we? And something I kind of, I guess, took for granted and didn't really think about, there have been some major gains for media databases. And at a glance, it looked like IMDB, the Internet Movie Database, had seen some pretty significant growth. But in fact, it's IMVDB, which is something I'd never heard of before. And I thought, huh, is that a typo? Like, is that a thing? And I looked at the domain data, and it's not. It's a database for music video content, not movie database. It's music video database. Huh, very interesting. We've seen a lot of issues with uh, content for lyric generation sites being caught in, like, spam filters and the, the, the spam updates that have happening. And it seems like, to kind of contrast that, this IMVDB actually was boosted thanks to the helpful content update. Later on, sort of like August, September time, it was that that wave of the helpful content update. We really saw a lot of movement and everything from artist names to song names and all that kind of stuff. We see a lot of rankings for that kind of stuff because, as you can imagine, a lot of that has a lot of search volume behind it. And similarly for the moviedb.org, which is, an again, a kind of IMDB-style movie database equivalent, has seen a lot of growth, especially in their person, TV, and movie subfolders. So those directories that actually include information about the people, about the TV shows, about the movies that they're talking about. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk around a lot of movies and TV. I feel like no more than usual. So... The fact that the percentage of their page one rankings have doubled during the last year is pretty, pretty darn impressive. And something Loose does a really great job of doing is kind of bringing through the discussion and highlighting the data there at the same time. Also seen a shift in a lot of e-commerce sites. So Loose dives into the data from eBay here as well and also looking at what kind of things perform from uh, a visibility perspective. Also, the fact that 
Etsy are growing pretty significantly as well. Um, their UK subfolder in particular has seen a pretty huge increase in its visibility score. And the fact that, I know Mark gave the example a few months ago of Etsy seems to have a landing page for pretty much everything. I think they're really nailing that search intent and really kind of have a clear way of ranking for so many of those high value terms. If you're looking for a specific product, chances are Etsy will have a very specific answer for you. And at the end of the day, when you're looking to buy stuff, that search intent is so key. That's such an important part of that customer journey, right? So looking at Etsy and kind of having a look there for their rankings, they gained rankings since January 2022. So a year ago at time of recording, pretty much. They gained over 2 million keywords, including lots of like fashion-based things. So uh, cute dresses, Korean fashion, lots of other stuff. And they also acquired Depop. I don't know if you know that, but Etsy acquired Depop. I think it was end of 2021, beginning of 2022. And yeah, they managed to kind of bring a lot of that to their now expanded range at Etsy. So yeah, a very interesting journey. Loose also dives into Shopify uh, visibility for some health-related sites. You know, we've touched on like Mayo Clinic and the NHS.UK and things like that. A lot of those have seen some quite a bit of volatility, of course, with the YMYL stuff. But these are top of the line, most visible domains in the world and in the country of the UK in this case. So these are kind of setting the standard for a lot of the YMYL stuff and setting the standard for the rest of us. Essentially, if you're looking to work in the health sector, there are some really fantastic examples of what you can do from for your sites and for your clients from this perspective and really see where growth has happened over the last year or so. So like I said, go to systrix.com slash blog. There will be a link for that in the show notes to go and check out Index Watch 2022 for the UK. And of course, there will be links as well to the other index watches we have a german italian spanish and french also so you can go and check those out in the links at systrix.com slash blog so you may know my guest from their brighton seo talk in october last year also from awards such as the european search awards and think global and from their appearance on fantastic podcasts such as the voices of search Without any further ado, welcome to the show, Sarah Presh. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm all good. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. I know we're recording this fairly early. We've we've done early ones. I know we've had some uh, uh, guests in the US doing it at like five o'clock in the morning before, but I appreciate you recording in the morning nonetheless on a weekday, the day before your holiday, no less. That sounds painful, 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I no, don't envy. I don't envy having to do that. I, I done it in the past where i did it the other way around recording with american uh like hosts and i was the guest back in the day and recording at three o'clock in the morning is it's not prime podcasting material but hopefully you and i it's, it's a wednesday morning we're recording we're in the we're in the right zone right sarah we're gonna be exactly we're gonna yeah. do really good exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned at the top there, people might know you from your Brighton SEO talk in October of 2022. And that's kind of the topic we're going to touch on this week on the podcast, right? I think we're going to kind of cover a lot of what you talked about in your in your talk and then also kind of expand out of that and cover a few extra bits maybe you didn't get a chance to cover in the 20-ish or so minutes you get in a Brighton SEO talk. 
So Yeah, they never leave it very long. There's so much yeah. you can say. You only get 20 <laughs> minutes to do it. <laughs> we will be going longer than 20 minutes, listeners, for this podcast. So I know I've got a bit of a reputation of making these episodes longer since I've joined the show. So apologize in advance, but we'll make some good content in the next 40 minutes and maybe about an hour or so. We'll see how we go. So the title of your talk was Cultural Sociology and SEO, How Culture Impacts Buyer Behavior and Can Improve Rankings. Exactly. I, yeah, I, I, love, I love that title. I love that it kind of covers both sides of things because at the end of the day, we are a digital marketing podcast. You are a professional in digital marketing yourself. And you kind of want to talk about a broader subject and how maybe things that go under-discussed and under-represented actually affect us in our ways of digital marketing and stuff like that and kind of where i want to start is i guess defining what culture is and how that affects us as people and then we'll kind of bring that into the wider seo and digital marketing thing as we go through yeah like as you just said i think kind of when we're dealing with search and we're dealing with search campaigns we often forget there's lots of different outside influences that actually impact kind of how we can do our campaigns, how we can improve them, what we can think about this kind of outside of the SEO world. Um, so that's kind of where the inspiration for doing the whole cultural sociology um, thing came from because culture's everywhere. Like culture, you kind of, everybody knows it from like, for example, Irish culture, British culture, German culture, and kind of from lots of different countries. But it's so much more to that is kind of how people act, um, why people behave the way they do, you know, the institutions that are in place in certain countries and kind of going back to the behavior thing, you know, as SEO, we have to try and understand what motivates people and why people are actually, you know, making that search in the first place, why they want to do this, why they're actually going to take action and understanding what motivates them on a cultural level can give you so much understanding into what can make your SEO campaigns work so much better. Yeah, I think that's a thing. Like I said, I think that's something that goes underestimated underrepresented because so many people you know i'm sure plenty of people are thinking like oh international seo everybody just thinks like oh it's trans translate your website get a different subdomain or a subfolder get your href langs (laughs) problem solved right that's that's all you need to do as if getting href langs correct is an easy thing to do but i made it sound very simple from that and i think so many people kind of rely on whether that's human translations or automate, I think a lot of people rely on kind of like plugins and, and services that do automatic translations and things like that. But from what I understood from listening to your talk and, and kind of, you know, kind of opening my perspective in that way, it's not as simple as that. And there can be a lot of pitfalls and roadblocks along the way, right? With just automated translation having its own issues, let alone the fact that it brings in a whole kind of cultural side of things as well. Oh, yeah. Like, to be honest, I think I could do a whole separate podcast on <laughs> automatic translations and why you shouldn't use machine <laughs> translation for SEO. Um, but rather than just, you know, staying on that and ranting about that, because I would rant about it. For hey, we, we always welcome a rant here on Search for Canada. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, ju- it just doesn't do anybody any good because, as I said, you know what it's like when you're planning search campaigns. You spend ages, like, looking into kind of the buyer personas what people do putting together a plan putting together a strategy and they're like absolutely massive documents like the amount of detail that we go into as seos is like really impressive um 
But when you're dealing with different markets, you know, you can have different search engines. You have all the all of the different cultural stuff um, that I've kind of basically, like, not basically, um, like very briefly touched upon just now. And, you know, that all impacts that um, strategy that you've done. So you kind of have to go back to the drawing board and, you know, translating your strategy and translating your content doesn't really work because, you know... Even between Ireland and the UK, you know, we have different likes and dislikes and different things, you know, that we want from our search campaigns. I mean, like even some of the words we use, if I asked you what press was, would you know what it is? No, not not inherently, no. It's a cupboard. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Exactly. Learn something new <laughs> every day. So like that even impacts keyword research, even though we both speak the same language, you know, there's only a tiny little bit of different distance yeah. between um, the UK and Ireland. But yeah. Don't use automatic translations or, you know, be careful with the human translations as well because what works in one country doesn't always work in another country. Yeah, I think that's something that, again, kind of really interesting, even within different English-speaking languages or different Spanish-speaking languages or different German-speaking languages. There is so much nuance between, as you said then, like so many Irish people granted a lot of people speak Gaelic and Irish and things like that as well but the primary language spoken in Ireland is English but Scottish English, Welsh English, English English, (laughs) Northern Irish English, Irish English, Australians, Americans, Canadians like there's so much nuance in there even outside of like oh yeah English speakers get served the same information doesn't matter where they're from whatever but culturally they are so different and we have so many little bits of information that we like unconsciously bring with us right because me as a as a british english speaker like having no concept of what a press is i was like could it be a shirt press could it be like for pressing (laughs) juice or something like i would maybe never have guessed cupboard in a million guesses i'd be like well it's pressing something right it's got a that's what most people think you know (laughs) like i don't know pressing your shirt or doing the ironing or something like that you know pressing apple juice yeah, so I guess what are the kind of things we should be aware of as SEOs when we are communicating with different cultures, even in within our own language as well? Oh, there's so many different things, like even communication styles. Like in my talk, I talk, um, I briefly touched upon kind of communication styles in different countries and how some people were like low-context communicators, some people like lots of context. So when you're writing all of this different stuff, you've got landing pages, you've got advertising copy, you know, so much different kind of like content you have to create um, when you're dealing with kind of SEO and marketing in general. Like Chinese consumers... Even though Chinese, um, actually, if you do a straight translation from English to Chinese, it will take up just like a little amount of page. So Mm. like English would be a full landing page and then the Chinese translation will take up about, I don't know, a quarter of the page. Yeah, yeah. Chinese content is actually longer than the English in the long run because they use all of that space to put in extra information and they like to have all of this different extra information. They like to have descriptions. They just like to have more context in general. And if you're not giving them that context, of course, it's going to kind of impact if people are going to do those conversions or if they're actually, you know, going to buy the products online. Yeah, I watched a fantastic uh, YouTube video a couple of weeks ago about web design in japan and how it's this weird kind of 
branch in and of itself almost of like it has no relation to you think like oh yeah i as a as professional seos we kind of understand the basic structure of, like you said of landing pages and all this and all this kind of stuff but in japan there's a completely different way of presenting information and again using that kind of high context structure of give as much information as possible be as clear and transparent as possible whereas you know, not to speak ill of our colleagues in marketing, but it's a lot of crap and marketing spiel that ends up on landing pages a lot of the time that is essentially irrelevant and not giving much context whatsoever. But people love to stuff in those, we are the best and it's the greatest and all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, but that doesn't tell me what the product is. There, there's a kind of phrase I always lean back on of like, if I can't tell what your business does just by looking at like the initial viewport of your homepage, that's not a good start. That's not a good hope. Oh my gosh. I've seen so many websites like that as well, where you kind of go on and they like metaphorically describe kind of, we help you do whatever in whatever we, way. We provide, and you're just like, what do you actually do? We provide bespoke solutions to businesses. Like solutions to what? Bespo exactly. Bespoke in what way? For what kind of businesses? That does, are you, Is it a digital product? Is it an analog product? Are you providing rental cars like what is going on <laughs> exactly exactly and it's really hard to know kind of what they do and then i don't know most consumers are just like right bye <laughs> i think that's really key even outside of like thinking about paid ads and advertising in general outside of digital marketing like having ad copy that clearly gets across your message is so important and i know there were a couple of examples you gave in your talk that i really really loved the using the white and orange colors in Ireland can be pretty controversial from a political standpoint. And I wouldn't bat an eyelid from here in the, in like in England thinking, Oh yeah. Orange just eat is white and doesn't, doesn't make a difference to me. Oh yeah. Like in Northern Ireland, like you can cause offense by using like the different colors, green and orange. And you know, it seems so innocent, doesn't it? Just like a little <laughs> orange logo. And then you go into the, like expanded to a different country and you reach for um you met with all of this backlash it, it it's just a bit like right you should have done your cultural research and like as well with orange the future's bright the future's orange that sounds <laughs> like absolutely completely normal to a non-northern irish ear but then when you go up the north and everyone and then you hear that and you know it causes and lots of issues because not everybody agrees that the future's orange <laughs> um, and yeah it's still yeah, I think it was done in kind of like the late 90s and it's still a joke today and people still use that as a slogan <laughs> by the way the, the, the company doesn't exist anymore they were bought out by another they were absorbed by EE the other phone company right so even like orange not existing anymore as far as I know here in the UK there's still the joke going on in Northern Ireland all these years later because, like, you see all those kind of posts on Twitter and LinkedIn and stuff like hilarious ad campaigns or hilarious signs that look like other things or completely mistranslated or whatever. I remember there was one I remember from, I think it was a book I had about, like, poorly translated marketing slogans or something like that. And Finger Licking Good in KFC translates to Eat Your Fingers Off when they like put it through like simplified Mandarin uh, translation for Chinese audiences, and it was like, yeah, don't just Google translate that stuff. That that matters, and the, all the oh nuance there of like 
finger licking turns into eat fingers and it's like yeah that doesn't yeah that's not the message you want to convey so, there's, there's so many of them though um and it's quite funny because for example but in the czech republic for example renault seems pretty innocent there's that little like i can't remember the name of that shape it's like a little diamond shape yeah um for Rom- their rhombus kind of thing yeah in the czech republic that's how people draw vaginas oh I mean, yeah, that that's kind of yonic in a way. Like that's yeah. Expressive so like of, everybody you know. laughs at Renault because they're like <laughs> the vagina car. <laughs> <laughs> is there is there a nickname in the Czech Republic for the vagina cars? <laughs> I don't think there is, which is a shame. But you know, everybody knows when they look at that. So if you see rhombuses everywhere on graffiti, that's the reason why we're not. Ju- it's not just like a country of you know Renault lovers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, again, it's it's simple things like that. That is a perfect example of where translation is not the issue there, right? It's understanding the context of that country, that language, that culture, because a shape is a shape. It seems incredibly innocent. Like, oh, a square is a square, or a triangle is a triangle. Like, well, no, actually, a triangle represents this thing, or a rhombus, in this case, represents something that some people might find very offensive, but would be completely innocent in another country and you wouldn't even think of it and so much money and so much effort goes into designing all these like big corporate logos and thinking oh it's got to work this way work this way nobody asked anyone from the czech republic (laughs) no and it's like i don't know if you've seen like the new kia cars as well like people if you look at the google um google trends (laughs) or kind of the search data people don't know how to write the name of kia anymore because they can't read it off the logo yeah, didn't the the search for like KN cars completely yeah, like exactly. spike as soon as they changed the logo? <laughs> yeah, like you just need to ask people on the ground if they can do it because like it's very easy for me if I owned Kia or something to say, oh yeah, I completely understand this. I think it looks great, and then you go and see people on the ground and they're like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And I think, like we're saying, we get our heads so into our own campaigns and we're so kind of like focused on our own task. Sometimes you need to kind of step away and see the bigger picture, right? And understand, even outside of international audiences, how could that be represented to different communities within your home country, for example? Like, there's so many different cultures represented. And, you know, as we grow more and more diverse, in the western world and things like that we we're gaining more and more cultural influence from other places and you've got to understand that makes a huge difference especially in certain parts of the world and certain parts of countries like if you're marketing in a particular area in the uk you know that there might be a larger community of a particular nationality so you need to understand yeah that's probably something we need to factor in here we can't just you know be blasé about the whole thing Oh, yeah, as well. And to be honest, like, it's not just about being polite, but it is, I don't want to come across like I'm sounding like marketing to ethnic minorities is just a way to make money. But it is a really good way of kind of like improving brand loyalty, for example, because I think one of the examples that I gave, if you um, sold donuts or sent donuts to clients who say had Polish people working for them, um on fat thursday you know they'd love your brands ever and like even in tesco's <laughs> you can do like a happy little fat thursday sign or something or have a sale like buy buy four donuts get one free or something people would remember you people would you know come back 
Whereas like right now what you're saying, I think again, this is another example I gave, you have like the smoky bacon flavor Ramadan Pringles and you're yeah. just like, I, I did I did love that in your talk where you're kind of going through some examples and people like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get this. And then smoky bacon, Eid Mubarak, and everybody went, Oh, <laughs> I got like a visible gut like an audible gasp from the audience. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't just happen as well for like um ethnic mi- minorities as well. Like I've seen some absolutely cringy marketing campaigns geared up for, I don't know, um neuro neurodivergent people mm. or disabled people. And it just looks so cringy, so kind of babyish. And you're thinking, like, why didn't you just ask someone from that community, you know, is this okay? <laughs> is this acceptable before you went out with it? Because you just like, you just want to sit there and facepalm all day. <laughs> yeah. This is something I talked about when I had Chloe Smith on the show a few months ago. And they were talking about how. There's different layers of representation, right? You think, oh yeah, we we put a per- one person of color in our billboard, and that covers everybody. That pro- problem solved. We have four white people and one person of color. That they represent people of color as a whole. It's like, hold on a minute, they don't represent Asian people and African people, and you know all the other different diverse ranges of races and and ethnicities around the world. But people fall into that kind of almost like tokenism representation, right? You're you're totally right. You don't want to be the oh, we're marketing. We see an opportunity to market to the African American community, so let's just market to them to make more money. You you kind of need to do your research, and I think that's going to be one of the big key takeaways from this episode, right? Do your research. <laughs> do your research. Speak to people in those communities, because for example, like. If you ask me to create something meaningful for, say, geared up to um, African-Americans, you know, I'm not qualified to do that. You know, I don't have enough experience. I don't have any lived experience. Like, yeah, I can write nice stuff, but I can't I can't make it, it resonate. Yeah. When I was talking to Jerome Ramos as well, he was talking about how just preparing for an interview as a person of color in America, as an African-American, has like three, four, five, ten more steps than me just being you know english speaking jack like hello i'm a british white guy here i am and he's like yeah i have to go through this process i know i have to work that much harder as a person of color i need to push myself and really put myself out there otherwise i don't get any chances at all like people are just go completely not represented at all and oh yeah completely i mean it's the same with being neurodivergent as well like you have to put so much thought into everything you do. Like, are they going to be angry that I don't do eye contact with somebody? Or are they going to find my communication style too direct? And then you have to make sure that, you you know, you're faking it the whole time through. And it's exhausting. Yeah. So how can people kind of, how can us as marketers get a better understanding of how to understand those cultures? Where, where's a good place to start with research? Is it literally just speaking to people from those communities, finding people who are willing to talk to you from those communities? Yeah, I would say so. But also remember to speak to more than one person as well because (laughs) one person's lived experience about, say, I don't know, life in Poland could be very different to, say, somebody else. Imagine if someone lived in the city or lived in the country or were, like, from an upper-class background and, like, a lower-class background, you know, Everything kind of shapes what people do, how they behave, what motivates them. 
And if you're just taking it from one person who might be biased, you never know. Like if you're just finding some random one to talk to you, which I hope people wouldn't, but you never know. Um, like do research, actually do proper market research, find out kind of from at least a good sample of people from different backgrounds inside that country, what they like, what's offensive to them. And also as well, like make that research relevant to the brand that you're doing and ask them kind of, does this brand name sound silly <laughs> to you? Because a number of times I found some brand names and I've laughed at them and I've just been like, this sounds really bad. <laughs> I think that's key, right? Having different representations from different communities and not just, and again, something I talked about with Jamar, having that, the weight of an entire group of people planted on the shoulders of one person. So, okay, Sarah, you're, you are the neurodivergent person that represents all the entire different spectrum and different types of neurodivergence because you have one or two particular types but note you're speaking for the entire community across the world no matter where they come from what they look like who they are you are our one neurodivergent person we're going to get to represent it's like that's a lot that's a lot of pressure not even including like as you said biases that come in unconscious biases that we have inherently as much as you know i, I like to think people like us try to be as understanding and representative and all that kind of stuff you come with unconscious bias whether you like it or not that is an inherent oh, part it, of your life so and your upbringing <laughs> like i was doing a masterclass recently um on kind of international seo and i held a session on china and chinese marketing is completely like on a completely different level to what mm. we've got in europe it's so much more modern you know everything's so much more technological so much more interactive um and at the end of the session, going through it, they were like, I thought China was the place that did cheap goods. It's like, <laughs> yeah, everything has made in China on the back, right? Like, <laughs> No, if you listen to the whole thing, you would have seen actually China's, you know, like a really big market with lots of potential. And, and like a sixth of the world's population. <laughs> exactly. And like they love luxury goods, not, not, you know, buying the cheapest thing that you can get. <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing that comes into it as well right like understanding you mentioned earlier upbringing and class is such an important part even within communities or within a particular country you're looking at getting one representation of oh here is three chinese people but they're all from the same background or similar backgrounds actually understanding and i think that's a huge factor here in england because so many people see like oh there's don't get me wrong there's plenty of racism here in the uk but there is a lot of classism as well and, and our and our structures and our politics and stuff are so defined by class still now in 2023 which seems mad it seems like some weird victorian thing that you would have hoped england would have evolved past by now but but no we're still here unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> and having you know working class people upper class people middle class people and all the variations in between understanding how they like you said some of them want luxury goods some of them even in lower classes want to buy higher products because they value them in a particular way or they're willing to spend money in a different way compared to other people they're i can't remember when i speak i think i was speaking to uh, back when i worked at an international language school before i came here to canada and i was talking to uh, a german colleague of mine and they were saying oh never use the word cheap with german people like we're we're willing to pay essentially if we, if we see something as cheap we think it's going to be rubbish and it will break in two weeks we want if we want to buy like a course because we were selling english language courses i was working at a school 
if you see a hundred pounds for three weeks, they're like, that's way too cheap. Don't do that. You need to make sure you've got that kind of sweet spot of branding, marketing, pricing, all that kind of stuff and understand that, oh, you actually, you can afford to up your prices because that actually kind of conveys quality a bit more in a different way. And that will change from country to country, even moving over to another German speaking country like Austria or German speakers in Switzerland, that dynamic changed very quickly. And that was kind of my introduction to, oh, just because you all speak German doesn't mean you all have even similar sensibilities, let alone the same sensibilities. Oh, exactly. And I mean, like the Czech Republic is next to Germany. It used to be part of Austria-Hungary. And we love cheap stuff. Like (laughs) all of the keywords are literally cheap this, cheap that. I mean, it doesn't mean that people want cheap and nasty. They want quality that's cheap but they want to feel like they're getting a good deal. So kind of, if you take a look at stuff, you actually have to market it as a good deal. I mean, these are the kind of people that look through leaflets once a week to see where the button's cheapest. And they'll drive around the town, go into all of these different shops and getting, for example, their milk in Lidl's, their butter in Kaufland, and their eggs in Tesco. Just because it's like one P off in the sale <laughs> or something like that. You spend more on petrol like going around to doing that but no it's that kind of i want a good deal and like um you know people won't buy from a brand like whenever i buy washing detergent or stuff i buy whichever one's in the sale i don't care if it's you know aerial or purse or or whatever you know whichever one has 50 percent off i'll buy it (laughs) i think that's a huge factor there as well where you, you mentioned keywords there as well i guess what is the kind of best way to get an understanding of those keywords is it simply using kind of the big tools you already know semrush hrefs all that kind of stuff and using those kind of keyword research tools we already familiar with or are there specific techniques and ways of kind of identifying that kind of thing yeah so stick with the kind of big tools i do find that semrush kind of is one of the better tools for international seo because um well most tools do for example German, Spanish, French, all of the main languages really well. I like to test them with Czech because it's such a tiny market. It's a bit of a, you know, not the most popular language in the world for international SEO, let's be honest. But the results that you get from certain tools are absolutely shocking. Like you can't get any results. You can't find anything out. They just don't work. So you need to make sure that you test that tool beforehand to make sure that it actually works for those languages. Because if, for example, you're using one of the tools that doesn't work to check, you're doing check, and then you're like, oh, there's no keywords when actually, you know, there are. (laughs) So you need to be careful with that. And then as well, don't translate your keywords from one language to another. (laughs) Because as we've already talked about, the culture's different. They're going to have different holidays. There's going to be things that are relevant, things that aren't. Um, For example, like, one example that I always use is like the keywords Valentine's Day gifts or kind of baby shower gifts. Like in Ireland, in the UK, in the US, yes, you'll have a baby shower. It's something completely normal. In Czech, you don't. In Czech, people don't really do Valentine's Day all that much. Um, but they have things called name days. So right. like all of the gifty keywords should be geared around name days. So you have to adapt it. Like you have to have your landing pages about name day presents rather than baby shower stuff. Um, to actually get people to, you know, come to your website um, (laughs) and do bits. And then if you're doing kind of like long form content as well, um, 
one company that I worked for, for example, did like pest stuff. So it was all kind of like how to stop foxes going in your garden and how to stop them digging up your grass and that kind of thing. Um, but in the Czech Republic and other Eastern European countries, um, foxes live in forests. They don't come <laughs> in your house. They're not the biggest pests. Like for us, the biggest pests are moles. So if I was going on the landing page to look for kind of how to get rid of the pests, I'd be looking for how to deal with weasels, how to deal with moles. So translating all of that content from English about foxes is just completely irrelevant as a waste of money. No one's going to look at it and no one's going to come to your website. You know, <laughs> I, it's harsh, but it's true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I love the example of baby shower because I feel like that is, when you really break it down into two words, good Lord, that can get misconstrued very quickly. <laughs> that turns into like child bath and all kinds of weird stuff like child wash you're like why am i getting gifts for child washing like what is going on here and so quickly just a simple translation so wrong. right exactly <laughs> and something as innocent as like yeah it's a baby shower like of course what uh, baby showers baby shower. perfectly innocent like perfectly reasonable thing for an e-commerce business to target that kind of thing and, and then you very quickly get away like you said there that sounds a bit weird that sounds borderline inappropriate like you then lose you know representation of your brand of like yeah they were that weird company that said that really inappropriate thing about kids that one time like hmm, not keen on that oh yeah <laughs> there was an example um that i heard about as well again in china that somebody ordered a human translation for their slogan but the translator wasn't based in country and didn't realize that the name of the slogan or when you translated it into chinese was the name of a terrorist group oh so that campaign got banned. Yeah. Completely. So they put all this money into it. It got banned. And if you actually ask someone in the country or somebody who, you know, understands the culture a little bit more, they would have told you before you went in and, you know, invested in all of this that actually don't do that. Wow. Yeah, that that's something you can really stumble into by accident, I think. Oh, yeah. So even outside of, like I said, outside of digital marketing and SEO and stuff like that, I think culture really ties into so much of business as well right because again from my experience working in international language students and, and working with agents from in different international schools and stuff like that i did some business trips to japan and the example you give in your talk of talking about business cards in japan and the etiquette behind that is so key to that first impression and i think first impression is another thing that we're kind of covering a lot here right that initial impression whether it's face to face in a meeting or the billboard or your homepage whatever it is that first impression matters a lot <laughs> well yeah it really 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 does and like even past first impressions if you're going to be interacting with people if you have international teams and everything you need to have that level of cultural understanding to understand why people are kind of you know acting in certain ways mm when they're doing negotiations or in business meetings, like I've managed international teams and I've often had issues where somebody from one country would come and complain that the colleagues are really rude in the other country. Yes, yeah. And you have to speak to the colleagues in the other country and say, look, you can't, you can't tell them, hey, tone it down a bit or anything. You, <laughs> can, you, can, you can try and, you know, nicely explain kind of business etiquette for everybody that's kind of international um, and whatever, but you actually have to have some level of cultural understanding and go back to the team member who got offended and say, look, they do not mean it like this. They come from a culture that is more direct. 
don't take it personally because they're not being direct <laughs> at you. And like I've I've come into trouble with that a few times, like forgetting to say thank you to somebody. No, forgetting to say thank you when I got off the bus mm. or something to the bus driver because in Czech you don't, you know. <laughs> I, I know Americans have said the same thing to me, like coming over here to the UK, like you said thank you to the bus driver. Like what what are you doing? Like I don't know. It's it's just ingrained in me to just say thanks so much like as i get off the bus that's a totally normal thing you do here in england but yeah i mean <laughs> i had it once that i was walking down the street some guy bumped into me he dropped his phone and he punched me in the face because i didn't say sorry to him and i was like you you walked into me but that was me not understanding that you know in his culture i had to say sorry i was a visitor in the country i had to say sorry because he bumped into me but i didn't so i was rude wow yeah <laughs> like you said it's, it can be the smallest things that make the biggest difference right and i think whether that's as you said managing international teams within your company or working with international companies if you're working agency side and you're dealing with a lot of different nationalities and different cultures there what are kind of some of the I guess the guidelines, the advice you'd give from your experience working in international teams and working with international companies for people who maybe don't have that experience yet, but are hoping to get that experience future in their career. Yeah, so that, like when it comes to kind of managing or dealing with different people um, who come from lots of different um, countries is basically have a level of cultural understanding, educate yourself in communication styles across the different countries where people actually work so understand that for example say people in latin america may come across as more friendly than say people from slavic nations and also explain that to your team members because otherwise if you're not if you're not explaining that or passing that on then you're going to have team members who are like oh my god they're so rude oh my gosh why are they too friendly it's kind of scary <laughs> um so you have to make sure that you know your understanding, because as a manager, if you're going in and being like, right, you all have to communicate like me. And if you don't, mm. it's wrong. And it's making you seem very close minded. And it's not really, you know, the best way of doing things. But when you're dealing with clients as well, you have to make sure because, you you know, the client is king all the time that you are communicating in a way that's suitable for the clients. So you can't just be like, hey, Mr. Client, you find me really rude, but. I'm from a different country, so therefore you shouldn't expect it. You know, you have to respect them. <laughs> I think respect is another key factor here as well, right? And even, like you said, rather than kind of bludgeoning everyone to submission of like, right, you're all, we're, we're in this country, we're going to talk this way, you're working for this company that comes from this culture or this particular language or whatever it is, we all have to communicate in this specific way because, as we said, even within the same country, even within the same language group, and even within even smaller communities, you will get neurodivergent people who communicate in different ways and different types of neurodivergent people who also communicate in different ways and you have to understand. And that's something we've been talking about, uh, the team here at Canada, we're, you know, understanding and educating ourselves and, you know, the, the senior members of the team are trying to understand some members of the team are neurodivergent. What does that mean? How do we communicate with them? Where are their skills best focused what are their communication types all this kind of stuff and i find that stuff so interesting and so fascinating and um we we did some training for example just before the end of last year where i think it was um there's like a color scheme thing where you understand oh i'm like red blue green or yellow and understand your different communication styles and how 
you know, Jack will take this very well. Please do not communicate with him in this way. If you're going to give criticism or feedback, present it in this way and that kind of thing. And our, our trainer um, was talking about how some companies have that like printed on the back of their chairs or they have a little kind of like set of blocks or, or you know, color coding or whatever it is on their desks to ensure, okay, I know Sarah's the director, but when you speak to her, you should speak to her in this way, present data in this way, and don't give her crap, don't bullshit her. She wants facts, she wants information, give her lots of context, give her data, and then go away. Or do you want to sit down and talk about it for half an hour, go through all the different possibilities, all that different stuff. And that's just ignoring international stuff. Like this is the big difference between culture and, and international SEO, right? It's a part of it, but it's such a key part of just our day-to-day lives as well. Oh yeah, like it's so important. And like, you're gonna make mistakes. But as long as you're willing to learn and as long as you're willing to understand, I think as long as you're open-minded, you know, or willing to put the effort in, it's it's a good thing, you know. Celebrate all of that different diversity mm, and all yeah, of the definitely. different ways of thinking. Because somebody, rather than, you know, shutting somebody down because they're like, oh, well, they think differently to me. That's not good. You know, <laughs> they might come up with a really, really good solution by thinking outside the box. Yeah, that's a really good point as well, actually, thinking about how, again, different cultures can actually relate to each other as well. There there may be some similarities. I mean, seemingly disparate people actually have a similarity because they are both minorities in their home country and they have something in common there and they can build and understand and, and, and grow together that way. Have you experienced much kind of resilience to much of this in, in your professional career of people saying, no, I definitely want to communicate this way or, you know, oh, don't worry about that. We'll be fine. And then it coming back to bite a client or <laughs> company <laughs> in the future. Um, again, you might have to edit this one out, but it's mainly, you know, the middle-aged white men or middle-aged I am, I am not know, editing that one out. Men. I will clip this out and put it on social media. <laughs> 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 I would do the opposite. <laughs> You know, ethnic minorities and different from different from like different marginalized groups are so used to kind of having to be the ones who educate people about what they need and are constantly telling people, you know, we want things like this. Listen to us. And they're just like, No, I'm fine, I'm finding it my way. <laughs> and you just like, No. And that's where most of the kind of the discrimination comes from and this lack of cultural understanding is when people decide that they're above it you know they don't want to change they don't want to adapt they don't want to listen to different ways of doing things like oh well I'm from I don't know I'm from a European country so how can someone in I don't know in the Middle East tell me that I can do it a different better way when actually they probably could (laughs) you know it's, it's just all of these biases all of these prejudices and yeah hopefully we're helping people to as a community, fingers crossed. I know there have been some been some issues, but <laughs> hopefully we're moving in the right direction, right? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, to be honest, I'm going to be speaking at Brighton SEO again in April, and I'm going to be talking about like the psychology behind inclusivity and like inclusive international SEO campaigns. And this links into it so much because it's like, where did people get these ideas from in the first place? What makes them like this? Was it society? Was it nature? You know, nature versus nurture, that whole kind of 
thing, and there are loads of theories that kind of explain where all of this prejudice kind of comes from. But again, it doesn't seem like something that would link into SEO, but it does because you need to un- you need to understand that to understand why some of these absolutely god awful campaigns are getting approved and why people think that they're okay. <laughs> because I've seen so many of them, like especially neurodiversity stuff, and I've read the content, and I was like, "You're speaking to us like we're animals." Like, how? How did this ever make it onto the content calendar, get written, get approved, get published without anyone saying, like, hang on a minute, no. <laughs> I think a lot of those bad examples, I always have that reaction of, like, who approved this? How did this, you, if, uh, and it's often, like, those big mega corporations, we use, like, Renault and, and like, KFC and big international companies, like, there must be layers and layers and layers of people and loops to jump through and all kinds of approval processes in QA and all that kind of stuff and nobody thought maybe maybe we should check if you know neurodivergent people are going to find this offensive and patronizing nah we'll be fine yeah, like did you did you see the thing um a few months back from KFC when they accidentally sent out a notification in Germany um having a sale on crystal now no like the stuff of the holocaust to, that you should celebrate that Ooh. with kfc oh god and i think my, to- my like toes became... just curled up <laughs> yeah like i'm jewish and it made me feel physically sick i was like what the hell are these people doing who approved it i know that they were like oh it's probably an ai you know calendar just doing everything for every single day of the year but like really does somebody not check them <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that ties into a big conversation that's been happening recently with AI content as well, right? Because, oh, speaking about lack of nuance and lack of understanding, robots are pretty good at that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, even when I've been doing, for example, like, um, the captions that you get, you say a word, and it automatically assumes what the next word is going to be, and it's so prejudiced. And you look at it and just like, no, people need to edit this stuff. People need to look at it, you know, understand the culture behind it to understand, is this going to be offensive in one country or is it going to be offensive to listeners that you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Even with AI art and stuff like that, you put in five people in a room. Chances are those five people are going to be white people because it defaults people equals Caucasian. It's like, oh, God. Yeah. Remember, humans built this, right? That we we have we have biases already built into us, and because we created these AI and these robots and things, yeah, they inherit our biases as well. With again, whether you like it or not, you can try and strip it out as much as you can. But there have been a lot of studies around, even sort of like policing systems and stuff like that. Always default to like, yeah, crime was probably committed by more people of color. Like. Do you have any statistics to back that? Like, no, that's what the robot said, so must be true. Like, who, oh my who, pro- gosh, who programmed that robot? <laughs> don't even get me started on stuff like that, because like lots of psychology is, you know, done by the white beardy men in their sixties, you know, in their eighties, <laughs> like when they do their best work and stuff. And some of it is just so prejudiced. Like, I was shocked when I first started studying psychology and I went in there and I was like, oh my God, it's going to be so open. There's going to be, you know, people who understand psychology. And then you realize that actually it's one of the worst and one of the most soul destroying <laughs> because you're like, these are the people that are meant to understand it and do things right. And it's really not like that in real life. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm even, you know, tying into other things like levels of education. You mentioned there, like understanding psychology. The kind of people that write those academic papers are the people that are able to pay for that education, that have the access and the privilege to that kind of education. So Oh yeah. Exactly. A bunch of rich exactly. white dudes doing doing a bunch of research. Great. <laughs> yeah, like I can't I can't, I can't afford to like put myself through like PhDs and stuff. Like that's never going to happen yeah. so like loads of these different voices that need to be heard are not being heard because of you know financial reasons and like it even links into things like recruiting as well because like recruitment processes and using these personality tests they have been proven there's so much evidence that they um discriminate against you know people who are neurodivergent or have say mental health conditions or things like that um but yeah, they're so celebrated, and I see so many different posts on LinkedIn about, yay, the big five, yeah. personality types, and things like that, and you're just like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a very interesting place for us to wrap up. <laughs> oh, trust me, I'll be ranting. Oh, um, um... If, if we carry on, so yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, Sarah, how can people find you across the internet? Of course, listeners, before I say this, links will be in the show notes, as always, at search.withcanada.co.uk. But how can people follow you across social media? Okay, so basically LinkedIn is the best way to follow me. Um, I'm one of these typical marketers that actually really hates being on social media in my free time, so I don't have <laughs> Facebook, I don't have Instagram, I don't even like Twitter. <laughs> so you won't find me there. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn best place <laughs> awesome lovely and of course you said you'll be in brighton seo coming up in april i will be so listeners out there if you are attending brighton seo please do go and see sarah's talk come and say hi to sarah and give her a little wave across the the conference hall it's <laughs> really really i don't just sit there alone all the time <laughs> hopefully i might be attending as well so it'd be nice to actually i know we tried to meet up last time and we just couldn't work out schedules and things so. so many people there oh my gosh that you felt like i looked out for you and i just couldn't see anybody i know <laughs> it was just like to be fair yeah. i do fall into the geeky looking white guy category that is 99 percent of seo conferences so I don't, I don't particularly stand out. <laughs> well, don't worry. I'm five foot and nobody can see me in the crowds because I'm just there, the tiniest person. So <laughs> Awesome. Well, hopefully I will see you at Brighton SEO. Listeners, like I said, go and check out Sarah at Brighton SEO and check out her LinkedIn as well. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that wraps us up for this week. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah Presh. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to Sarah about culture and how that relates to marketing and SEO. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. This is I learned a lot and kind of, like I said, expanded my understanding in many ways and, and coming at it from my very small perspective. And hopefully, hopefully we've also educated you out there and, and kind of made you think about how culture can tie into your marketing campaigns, both online and offline as well. I'll be back next week, of course, as always. Uh, I'm not sure whether there'll be a guest or a news episode yet, but we are working on the live streams coming up that we're partnering to do with Systrix. So please do stay tuned for that. But until then, thank you ever so much for listening and have a lovely week.